0: Hello there, Grace family. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Adam Spees. I'm one of the pastors here. And, uh, you know, we're always curious where and how uh, you may be watching and engaging with us. And uh, some of you, maybe it's through Facebook or YouTube and uh, through our app, uh, we would love uh, to hear from you. Uh, if We do not have your email. Uh, We would love for you to email us so we can uh, share regular opportunities to connect uh, in person and virtual, and so uh, thank you uh, for joining us as we continue our conversation, uh, Jesus Is. I don't know about you if you've had this opportunity to give a best man speech or uh, a maid of honor speech. I remember the first time that I had that opportunity. It was a fraternity brother in college shortly after we had graduated. Uh, He asked me to do the honor. And I remember Google searching kind of expectations and hopes for a best man speech, probably like many of you have done, right? To keep it uh, short and simple, uh, to acknowledge that they're the perfect match, kind of how they came together to give a toast for the future and to add a little humor uh, to the conversation, but in an appropriate way. And uh, as I thought of my buddy, uh, there was one story in particular that always fascinated me. I said that he had a unique relationship Uh, with an animal that was somewhat uncommon for many of us, right? It wasn't a dog or a cat, but every year he uh, was tasked with this responsibility at the church that he had grown up in uh, to go to a local farm and bring home what was to be the star of a show. The church put on a play every year where a sheep was the star of the show. And my buddy did not have uh, a truck uh, SUV, but rather a sedan. And so uh, he shared of this story, how he went and met the farmer, and this became a regular occurrence, and he would grab a sheep, and he would put it in his passenger seat, a passenger princess, this sheep, and uh, he would buckle him or her in, and off they would go. And uh, I just imagined maybe what that uh, ride to the church and back to the farm uh, may have been like. And uh, we can, we laugh, we're kind of curious about it, because for most of us, we're not that familiar with sheep, right? Unless we had the privilege maybe to grow up on a farm. Um, it seems unique, but peculiar. But The interesting thing is to the audience that the Bible was written to, it would have been something that was very common. In the Middle East, even still to this day, a shepherd is a common occupation. As we see the pages of Scripture, we see uh, especially early on that a lot of the main characters, they were shepherds. They cared for sheep. Right, We see Abel, the firstborn son of Adam and Eve. We see Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, and how his uh, kids, Jacob uh, and Isaac, also were shepherds. We see Moses, the promised deliverer that leads this group out of Egypt. And in the book of Exodus, he was a shepherd for a period of time. We see David, one of the most famous king's uh, characters in the story. He was a shepherd. It was very common uh, for uh, this understanding of sheep and shepherds. The terrain lent itself, right, that sheep could kind of handle a scarcity of grass, uh, a lack of abundance of water and resources that way, that they could kind of move from uh, one area to the next with relative ease. And so what we see in Scripture around 220 times is this motif, is this theme related to sheep and shepherds. It's one from the front to the back. We see Jacob, as we mentioned, who was a shepherd at the end of his life, said that God had been a shepherd All of his life. We see this connection with God, Yahweh, as a shepherd of his people. And we see in the last book in Revelation this beautiful imagery of a sheep and a shepherd and how they're both combined. It it says, For the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to springs of the water of life. Right? Very common understanding. You know what was fascinating to me in preparation was that this idea of shepherds as leaders was not exclusive to the Hebrew people, right? That it was used in other cultures as well. Their enemies, uh, Babylon had a king, Hammurabi. He referred to himself as a shepherd of his people. We see Homer, a famous Greek poet, that when he talked about the Greek chiefs, he referred to them as shepherds. We even see the shepherd's instrument, the rod and the staff, and how they're used as symbols of power, of authority, and protection. In the ancient East, but in also Egypt, we see these symbols used. And so when we turn to the pages of scripture we see strong warning of rebuke for those who are bad shepherds those who are um, selfish leaders but we see this hope in this desire uh, for one day a righteous caring loving shepherd to come on to the scene because all throughout Uh, The Old Testament, we kind of see this picture, this rebuke of bad shepherds, but this hope of one day a good shepherd arriving. We see that in Zechariah. He highlights the worthless shepherds of the day, but he talks about this future shepherd who would be pierced publicly and it would elicit great mourning and grief. Jeremiah goes on to connect further uh, those who are bad shepherds with a lack of spiritual concern in leadership. We see in many pages and in, in prophetic uh, writings this hope of one day a future shepherd. We see Isaiah says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that are young. We see in Micah chapter 5, around Christmas time, we talk about the prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Well, right after, it talks about the role of this Messiah in verse 4, that he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. We see even in a very familiar messianic psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. It's a title of God, Yahweh Rohai, Right? It's a description of God's character, the hope that one day they have of this future shepherd. Well, there is one chapter in scripture that really is the epitome of this strong rebuke, but the hope also of this future shepherd. It's found in a more peculiar book of scripture that maybe we haven't studied a lot. The book of Ezekiel. And uh, we see in Ezekiel 34 this vision that Ezekiel has. He said, the word of the Lord came to him. And he says, prophesy against two, the leaders of Israel in those days. And he says, woe to you. The shepherds. You see all throughout these few verses this strong rebuke, and we see why he's concerned about these shepherds. He says, You only take care of yourselves. You only look out for number one. He says, You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals. Instead of caring for them, you choose to slaughter them for your own gain. He says, You do not take care of the flock. You have not been concerned about the weak, those who are vulnerable, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. He says, you don't even care about the strays. Those who've left the flock, they've been scattered. Three times, he says, you're not concerned about those who have scattered. He says they become food for all the wild animals. And then I love this. He says... My sheep, it's the Lord speaking, have wandered over the mountains and every hill. They're scattered and no one has searched for them. You see this concern, this desire, this um, difficulty that the people are experiencing with uh, false shepherds, without good leadership. And then it goes on in this passage. You'll have to read through the entire chapter on your own, but it is so fascinating. It says later on this vision, he says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself, the Lord speaking, will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks for his scatter flock, I will do that. I will look after them. One, I will rescue them. I will bring them from many nations. I will bring them into the pasture, into their land. I will tend to them in good pasture. I myself will tend to my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Lord. I love how this section kind of ends. He says, I'll bind up the injured. I'll be concerned about those who are weak and vulnerable, and I will strengthen those, but the sleek, the strong, He'll destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. With righteousness, with truth, with justice. And it's in this setting that the nation of Israel look forward to this future leader. They recognize the difficulty of those who are in leadership at the moment. Those who sought their own selfish gain. And Jesus God with skin on comes on the scene. And amidst his public ministry, we've been looking at the statements that he made about himself and the significance of those statements. And today we look at another of his. We see Jesus say, I am the good shepherd, I am Yahweh, Rohai. I am the one that you have been looking for. I am your divine king. I have come to rule and reign. This statement is so significant. Jesus doesn't uh, mince any words, right? He's claiming his divinity with this statement. He's claiming that he is the premier shepherd, the Lord, the king. Right, there's multiple words in Greek that he could have chosen to use to um, denote that he was a good shepherd. There's a word, agathos, that means that he was morally good. It's not the word that he chose to use, but rather, kylos, which means that he was premier, that he was magnificent, that he was excellent on all levels that he was winsome, attractive, beautiful, that he was the premier shepherd. Now, it's so significant to see when in the immediate context with with Jesus shared these words, right? Because Dan quickly mentioned uh, what happened in chapter nine of the book of John last week. He talked about this man who had been born blind. And they had some theological questions of did he sin or did someone else sin, right? And so they were wrestling with this and Jesus heals him. He takes mud and heals his eyes. And this man's pretty excited. Not just for his physical healing, but for this prophet that who he believes is God. So he's brought in by the religious leaders of the day who want to quelch, who want to silence, the ones who should have been most curious for who Jesus was and the claims that he was making. But they were comfortable in their own power, in the prestige that they had, and they sought to silence Jesus. And they sought to silence this man. And they chose to kick him out of their synagogue not allow him to worship. And Jesus makes the statement against the backdrop of these worthless, selfish leaders that are leading the nation of Israel at the moment. That Jesus is the premier shepherd. They hurled insults at the blind mind. Jesus, the good shepherd, will endure insults for this man. They cut him out of the church. Jesus was cut off so this man could be included into his family. They kicked him out. Jesus eventually would be kicked out and killed so that others could be invited in. I love in this statement how Jesus, when he says that he is the good shepherd, that he talks about his sheep. He says, I know my sheep. In my sheep, they know me. What he is saying is that he comprehensively understands the strengths and the weaknesses of sheep. I'm not that familiar with sheep, so I had to go study and do a little research. And uh, there's a, a small book that's really helpful. It's uh, by a previous shepherd, his name was Philip Keller, and he uh, took a shepherd's look at Psalm 23. And it gives us uh, a beautiful understanding of sheep. And uh, sheep, they're weak and susceptible. You've probably never been to a farm and seen a sign that says, Beware of the sheep, right? They're not very dangerous. They're virtually defenseless, right? Um, they uh, do not have the skills, survival skills, to care for themselves. They're easy prey. They do not have claws, sharp teeth, speed, or a resounding roar to make predators scared. Um, You you may think of fight or flight, right? But for a sheep, there's no fight. (laughs) It's flight or freeze, right? Whenever they find a situation that's a little scary, they panic. Uh, They're timid, right? They're weak, they're susceptible. Sheep, they're also very stubborn. They're notoriously creatures of habits. They will uh, kind of run the same trails uh, until there's ruts and divots. Uh, They will um, kind of eat from the same hills to where there's no um, vegetation left they will pollute their own ground till it's corrupt with disease and parasites a commonly held misconception is they can get along anywhere well they don't require a whole lot but that's a misconception because no other class of livestock requires more uh, diligent care and concern and direction than that of sheep What's also interesting about sheep, they become restless. Hunger or bugs just kind of throw them off, right? They're often directionless. You find them wandering kind of on their own. A sheep left in the wild will not survive. Not like a, a dog or a horse or maybe even a cat, right? They have no survival skills. Now, knowing that this reality may come across um, a little difficult, that we all like sheep have gone astray, right? This comparison to us as sheep. But you know what I find fascinating is we get no indication of frustration or anger or disappointment for humans in their sheep likeness. But rather, we see the concern and love of the shepherd. We see the value that the sheep have. And what it highlights is that a sheep is totally dependent upon his shepherd for their care, for their concern, for their well-being. We see within this statement that Jesus further kind of articulates this um, motif, this beautiful picture of sheep and a shepherd. And we pick up kind of in verse 7 where they had kind of questioned what he was saying and he clarifies it. And he says, Jesus says again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me, merely they were thieves and robbers. They weren't telling the truth, right? They had their own motives. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. What Jesus is saying is Jesus, the good shepherd, is the gate to guaranteed security. Now, after a day of grazing, uh, a shepherd would Bring his flock to a sheepfold, a sheep pen. And it would be in ancient Palestine, a walled off enclosure with briars on the top and one opening. And within this opening, a shepherd would often be the gate. There may not always be a door that could be secure shut, but a shepherd would lay right there and the only way in to the sheepfold was through the shepherd's presence (laughs) right i thought shepherd could be a scary occupation right because predators often came at night and they would want to attack the sheep but the shepherd stands there ensuring their security but through the gate Through the shepherd is the only way to experience this security. At the end of the night, um, the shepherd would kind of lead his sheep to this entrance, and he would begin to inspect them because he knew without his proper care that a sheep would be unable to rest, that they wouldn't be able to lie down, that it was his management that was of utmost importance to ensure their rest and their security. So a shepherd, he would kind of check their wool to make sure uh, that they were absent of flies that may torment them and keep them up in the evening. If they were um, still hungry, they wouldn't be able to rest. They would refuse sheep to lie down if there was any sense of fear. Terror, right? A bunny can um, run an entire uh, flock of sheep um, in many directions out of fear. I also find it interesting that um, if they had friction with one another, they were unable to rest. For a sheep, it was called a budding order. And the only way to put an end to um, friction and frustration with others. Was with a shepherd's presence. It's significant to be at rest and secure. There's a definite, they needed a definite sense of freedom, tension, aggravations, and hunger. And we see the importance of care and concern for the shepherd. Security was found for them in the presence of a person. Their shepherd. Security for us is only found in the presence of a person and also the hope of eternity. This awareness, this reality. I love towards the end of a chapter this significant truth when we think about salvation, that it's only through faith that we are made right with God, that we can be part of his family, that we can be part of his flock. But he says, Once you are part of your flock, his flock, he never loses us, right? He keeps sight of us and he makes that clear. He says, my sheep, they listen to my voice. He says, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. Have you ever thought of maybe the significance about our eternal security and how that impacts our earthly confidence, right? Because we know salvation is not of our own merit. There's nothing we can do to earn it. Well, maybe a simplified way there's nothing we can do to lose it because it's what God has done for us. And that gives us great confidence that we can rest, that we can be comfortable in the care of our shepherd. I've spoken with many that have feared and maybe they live with the anxiety or the torment that maybe God can't do what he has told us that he could do, that he could save us for all eternity, that he gives us eternal life. But what Jesus offers He says that he's the gate to guaranteed security. He offers us eternal life that begins now and lasts for all eternity. Within that is great confidence, is great security and satisfaction, knowing that I am his and he is mine. Eternal life begins after saying yes to Jesus The gate. John goes on to record this conversation, and Jesus says, I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out, they'll enjoy the pasture. The thief, on the other hand, the the adversary, he comes to take away what I offer. It's important to recognize that Satan is at work, that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, on the other hand, he comes to offer us life. A life abundant. Jesus, the good shepherd, guides me to abundant life. Now, if you've kind of paid attention, you may ask yourself, how does the good shepherd guide one? It's through the sound of his voice. Right? You see it all throughout the passage that his sheep know and understand his voice. Earlier in John, it says, um, Sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. There was often this common fear that if something happened to the shepherd that the flock would scatter that they wouldn't be able to keep them together so they'd have to have this system of an understudy and someone else who they would recognize their voice because of how prominent that they would respond to the voice often in a sheepfold there were many flocks and they would come out through a call of the shepherd. How well do you recognize the voice of God? Right. I know we often may think it's very mystical, right? But understanding his word through communion and prayer and intimacy and sensitivity to circumstances and what's going on around us, God desires to lead us, to guide us, Some of us were wandering sheep. Sheep didn't have the best depth perception. They had good peripheral eyesight, right? They could look across to one another. They would easily compare themselves. How often you and I can get get caught up in comparing ourselves with one another that we can get caught up in the mundane, uh, the worthless activity, and we can forget the call of our shepherd. We can forget his voice. Some of us, maybe we've tuned out hearing his voice. We've lost sight of it. Maybe we're busy making our own plans. Others of us, maybe we hear it, but we've stopped listening. Right, Because the difference between hearing and listening is a life of obedience, a life of surrender. We see this significant, that you and I, we forfeit the abundancy of life when we stop listening. Do you trust that God is good? That he wants to guide you? That he wants to lead you? Even when you may not understand I think of a particular situation. Um, when I was in college, I was prepping for uh, my first mission trip and we had to raise money uh, in order to be able to go. And uh, at that time, I didn't have much money in my bank account. I'm a numbers guy. And uh, I remember I had about $800 left in my bank account. And uh, there was another one on the on the team that was really having difficulty raising money. And I had secured my funds and uh, Was planning to go and didn't have a whole lot else. Well, I felt led and knew that I was supposed to give to this individual's trip. I couldn't shake the feeling, right? I can think of my dorm setting, Um, I can think of my desk in this moment, and you couldn't convince me otherwise, right? I knew God wanted me to give something for this trip. And I never did. You know, I have a big regret about that few dollars in college that I didn't trust his provision. And it wasn't out of guilt, but you know what it was? That I didn't trust what he was calling me to do. Others can dismiss that and say it's no big deal, right? But I think of that moment, right? Because I want to have no regrets. I want to be sensitive to his leading, to his guidance. I want to be able to trust. Even when I don't fully understand, we forfeit the abundancy of life when we stop listening. When we try and make our own plans, when we stop trying to connect with our good shepherd, he wants to lead us. But this abundant life isn't just one of Material comfort, but it's one of purpose, of satisfaction, of significance for his name's sake. We see this kind of played out in a very familiar passage, right? That David wrote this, Psalm 23, that um, has encouraged many hearts, been shared at many funerals. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path. For what purpose? For his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For he is with us. His raw, his staff, they comfort me. This psalm, this psalm is found in the middle of a triad, of a trilogy of messianic psalms. It shows the importance of this abundant life, that it's not one minus fear or trouble, but it's the presence of a person that allows us to navigate where he's calling us with confidence, with assurance. But this Psalm 23 is surrounded by significance, right? Warren Weersbeer, James Collins, kind of put together. I put this chart together from what they had shared about these psalms, right? That in Psalm 22 we see um, a picture, a prophecy of the cross. Jesus, as he was hanging on the cross, quoted the first line from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? They didn't have numbers like we do. And the first line indicated kind of the rest of the psalm, the suffering servant that came for us. We see the care and concern of the shepherd in the present, the past, the present, and also the future glory that will one day be revealed. That the chief shepherd will return to crown his sheep and we see this beautiful picture of the abundant life and the hope in the reality of what Jesus had come to do he made it extremely clear in this conversation that he had with the religious leaders he said that he was the gate only through him was eternal life he said that he could lead them to abundant life And he showed exactly how he was going to do that. He says, I am the good shepherd who willingly lays down my life for the sheep. He says, I'm different than hired hands, those leaders who look out for their own good. They run away when trouble comes, right? They do it for their own selfish gain and motivation. But he says, I know my sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. He's talking uh, about the sheepfold of Judaism, their religion, that he was calling and going to, inviting the Gentiles, the foreigners to be part of his family, that it was always his desire that people could be made right with God through faith. He makes that clear. He says, I will bring them also into this one flock. I find it so interesting when he says that I will lay down my life. He's saying, I will take the place of. right For centuries, the nation of Israel sacrificed sheep. Blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. What Jesus is saying is, I, the good shepherd, willingly lay my life down voluntarily for the sheep. You see this paradox, this beautiful imagery in picture because of his love, his concern, his care for the sheep. John ten eighteen says that no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's gathering his flock. He has willingly sacrificed his life for you and I so that we can be included into part of his family. Now, you can imagine how this may have landed with religious leaders. They were divided in the response. They were angry. They were upset. They intended to kill him, and this only elicited that response. But there were people there that were cut to the heart, that heard these words, and they chose to sought to follow him. And what Jesus was inviting them into was this paradoxical life. Right? Because... Often, Jesus is a unique blend, God is, of things that on the surface may seem contradictory, but rather, when we work hard to understand, give a beautiful, comprehensive picture. Right? That God can be both eminent and transcendent. That he can be personal yet sovereign. Right? That God is both. That Jesus is both fully God and fully man. That he knows what it's like to hunger, to hurt. But yet, he created the world. (laughs) right? That he has all of the power and resources available. That he is all-knowing. But yet, he cries at the loss of a friend. That he has empathy and sympathy. That Jesus is full of grace and truth, that he is 100% both, that he doesn't have to give up grace in order to offer truth, that he doesn't have to minimize truth in order to offer grace. And this paradoxical life that he invites his followers into is one in which we ourselves have the option, the opportunity to see ourselves both ways. To see ourselves as sheep, but also shepherds. Because we see Jesus, the chief shepherd that Psalm 24 talked about, right? He is making sheep into shepherds for what purpose? To lead his flock. To lead those who are seeking to follow him. We see Peter talk about this. I find it so interesting that Peter who denied Jesus was told, feed my sheep. Can you imagine maybe the weight or the emotion that went into writing this? He says he's speaking to the elders of the churches that he's writing, and he says, I appeal to you also as an elder, right, to be a witness of Christ's sufferings who will share in the glory to be revealed. I like this. He says, be shepherds of God's flock. That's under your care. And he goes on to give them a short description of how they should go about doing that. Not because you must, right? Because you have a willing attitude, a desire, your heart is in the right place as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gains, selfish motives, but rather eager to serve. Not taking advantage over those who have been entrusted to you, but rather being examples to the flock. And I love the recognition that comes in verse 4. This recognition that doesn't seem to be exclusive to the office of the elder, but available to those who take the spiritual responsibility and have authority, leadership over others. This promise that one day there will be recognition for our efforts, that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. For those of you that have and are faithfully investing in kids and students, God sees that. He will acknowledge your effort. For those of you that are faithfully shepherding groups of people, it's not always easy. It can be difficult, frustrating, time-consuming. Right? There are other things you may choose to do, but it is a worthwhile endeavor for all of eternity. It makes a difference. For those who are planting seeds of the gospel as his ambassadors to those around us who might be far from Jesus, Right? it makes a difference. For those of us who faithfully view our role as parent as a primary spiritual coach in others, Those of us willing to take on the mantle of spiritual responsibility for others, it doesn't go unnoticed. It's a worthwhile endeavor, right? That you and I, for those that follow that, while we keep our humility and understand our sheep likeness, we pursue being a shepherd. That we willingly say, here I am, right? I am willing to take responsibility to care for others. That's God's design for his church. That people lovingly, willingly would care and lead and guide them to the chief shepherd. That they would point, that they would not make it about themselves, but rather about him. What a great picture for those who desire Leadership, or maybe even think or desire, look to those that lead us. We see the statement Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is our caretaker, He's our guide, He's our protector, He's our provider, He's our Savior, He is the gatekeeper. Are you following the good shepherd? Where do you go for care, guidance, protection, security? Are you restless? Are you stubborn? Are you anxious? Are you seeking to hear the voice of God? Are you seeking not just to hear, but to listen to a life of obedience, of surrender, of fellowship? Have you said yes to Jesus the gate? Do you recognize that He is the only way that we can live with earthly confidence knowing that we have eternal security on what He's offered us? Are you experiencing the abundant life? One of joy, one of significance. Right? One where God leads us faithfully, provides for us. Do you see leadership through God's paradigm? I know it may be somewhat uncommon, but this shepherding metaphor should radically orient how we look to and see leadership. Are you pursuing leadership? It makes an eternal difference. It's a responsibility. It's an effort. It's not easy. But God allows us Right? He gives us that privilege to be able to invest our lives in something that will outlast us. I want to end with a prayer that the author of Hebrews did at the end of Hebrews 13. He says, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, through the death of Jesus, that he was brought back to life, what we celebrated, that he is the resurrection and the life. That he is the great shepherd of the sheep. May he equip you with everything for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him. To him be the glory forever and ever. Father, that's our prayer. That we would understand our sheep likeness. That it wouldn't lead us to... Frustration and anger, Lord, we recognize we make mistakes, but we would be enthralled by your love, your mercy, your care, your forgiveness, the joy that you find in providing for us. And Lord, that we too would pursue being a shepherd. That we too, once we have embraced the eternal life that you offer, are enjoying this abundant life, that we too want to share that with others. Lord, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. We thank you that you made it abundantly clear that only through you can one experience life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.